Hi, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On today's episode, I have a really great conversation with one of my favorite writers, Jeff Maynaw. Jeff is probably most known for publishing Building Blog, which is a blog about architecture, landscapes, and the built environment that he founded in 2004. But he's also recently published a book called A Burglar's Guide to the City, which is about the relationship between burglary and architecture and has actually been optioned for television by CBS. And he also writes frequently for publications like The New York Times, The Atlantic, The New Yorker, The Daily Beast. In this episode, Jeff and I talk about his early interest in writing and how he discovered that architecture was this really interesting intersection for all of his uh, varying interests. We talk about blogging and the, the form of the blog post. And we also talk about how architecture writing has changed over the years and new ways to think about both architecture and design. I've been reading Building Blog for years. If you've listened to almost any episode of this podcast, you know how influential blogging was to my interest in design, and Building Blog was one of those. And Jeff's writing really shaped how I thought about blogging when I started my own blog and uh, started thinking about writing about the topics that were interesting to me. So I obviously really enjoyed this conversation. I love talking to him about his own writing and interests and, and how his career has, has evolved. If you don't read Building Blog, I encourage you to uh, go visit the site and take a look at the archives and enjoy this conversation with Jeff Maynaw. You know, I've been reading Building Blog for years, uh, but I don't actually know much about both the origins of the site and your own background. And so I thought that might be a nice way to just kind of frame the discussion a little bit. And so I'm kind of interested to start where your interest in architecture and the built environment came from, and then also where your interest in writing came from. Sure. Um, well, I guess I'd start maybe with that last bit, which is that I think writing is actually something I've always been interested in. Okay. So, you know, even even as a little kid, when I was, you know, five, six years old, I was writing short stories and that kind of stuff. Um, I was really into the, uh, the Greek myths. So I was, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd rewrite the Greek myths for uh, uh, almost like fan fiction. Oh, nice. Um, and, um, you know, I turned in like an entire novella when I was like nine years old. It was, uh, you know, like this massive 81 <laughs> page short story about people who got lost in the rainforest. Oh, wow. Um, and so that was something I was always really interested in and was was writing and becoming a writer and, and, and being a writer. And so I think that definitely came first. Um, okay. And then as far as the built environment, um, yeah, I guess I felt like it, it was always the sort of I sometimes joke that it was at the center of the Venn diagram for all of my interests. And so, you know, if I was interested as I was in a, as a kid in becoming an archaeologist, you know, it was about ruined cities in the middle of these wasteland landscapes or hidden in the rainforest and that kind of thing. Um, but that's architecture. You know, you're talking right. about these ruined cities or, or abandoned walls and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, but then I was also interested in science fiction and how they portrayed the cities of the future or, for that matter, the landscapes of other planets. Um, but then I was also interested in war and the military and how they prepare for conflicts both overseas and domestically and the kinds of things that go into military bases or even what weapons do or do not do to cities and that kind of thing. 
um, and you know, and so on and so forth, horror fiction and, and then architecture itself, um, right. material science, you know, all the things that go into it. Um, but so that was kind of a, at the center. I realized that I could actually um, kind of surreptitiously write about everything that interested me and I could just make it, I could pin it on architecture and start right. an architecture blog. And that was just a great excuse to be able to find ways to get in touch with people who did stuff I thought was interesting or to write about topics that I was excited about to share with other people and so on. And so building blog really kind of came out of that. So my background is not actually architecture, ironically. Okay. So uh, I never studied architecture and, I, and I'm not an architect. Um, but it just has that really well positioned thematic relevance to mm -hmm. all of the things that I like to read about and study, et cetera. Um, and so my background is really more in anthropology and art history. And so um, it's those kinds of topics that I think if, if anything informs what I do academically, it's really more that kind of. Um, you know, anthropology, how to, yeah. how do human beings use the spaces they build for themselves? How do human beings interact with each other in a certain scenario? Um, and then and as far as art history, I just think, you know, maybe just a visual ac acuity or an attraction to images and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the background. And then I guess I'd say that at the time of founding Building Blog, I feel like there's been a dramatic change in what is written about in the architecture world yeah. since that, since that time. But when I did start building blog, it was really more of a reaction to the fact that, you know, I, I was genuinely interested in architecture, but as an outsider and as someone who, you know, I didn't have academic access so to libraries and that kind of thing. So I'd go to Barnes and Noble and look at the architecture section. And even today, it's a it's kind of a wasteland of really right. un, uninteresting books. And it just seemed like, wow, how can there be an entire field that is so fascinating and so important and interesting? And yet the stuff being written in it is so boring. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I really wanted to write what I wanted to read. Um, and so I thought, why aren't more people covering these kinds of things? Like, why can't you read about J.G. Ballard and architecture? Right. Um, which, you know, now you can't oh, you can't get away from J.G. Ballard <laughs> right, and architecture. Right. But, you know, back then it was kind of unheard of to even mention him in the context of, of architectural writing. Um, but so those, those kinds of things, you know, wanting to, uh, yeah, almost like proof of concept as an outsider to show that you could write about architecture in a way that brought in all these other influences. Yeah, it's always interesting to me. I love that because, I mean, one, I feel like that explains a lot of some of the other questions that I wanted to <laughs> wanted to ask you. You set them up for me really nicely. But I also <laughs> love when uh, kind of all of these topics or all of these interests were just there kind of from a very young age and and how they kind of manifest themselves kind of as you grow as a as a writer as an intellectual or, or you know kind of whatever you would want to call call yourself i'm interested though you know because you said i have just kind of one other quick background question i just to mm -hmm. kind of pull out of that sure. uh, you know at a very young age wanting to be a, a writer and then kind of studying anthropology and art history, where did those things come together for you? Or where did you, you know, what was there a moment? I don't mean to kind of oversimplify it, but was there a, a moment or an object or when did you realize that architecture was that thing that, you know, you could kind of tie around all of these interests? I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I guess there were a couple moments. Um, I mean, like academically, I was really interested in, like when I was an undergrad, I did an undergraduate thesis project and it ended up being about agoraphobia. Okay. And so I actually came around to agoraphobia by way of, um, I guess what I would broadly say was anthropology and critical theory. Uh, it was just the, you know, and I started getting really interested in how 
fear of public space was being described in books about agoraphobia. Mm -hmm. And so I started reading more about it and getting more interested, um, I guess you could say critically, in, in whether or not agoraphobia was even real. Um, if it was not just other types of social anxiety right. that were being portrayed inaccurately right. as a spatial problem, you know, because it's almost inevitably described as something about being out in public in public space or being seen in a in a large piazza or on a street mm -hmm. or that kind of thing. But inevitably, those are just um, it's almost like that's a spatial coincidence. And in fact, it's a different type of anxiety. And so in any case, I wanted to start writing about that kind of stuff that got me in for the thesis project, which got me into looking at how public space is described, how anxiety disorders are, are seen spatially. Right. Um, and that was architecture. So that led me to some pretty interesting sort of mid 20th century writing on what happens when people move to cities. How does it affect, um, you know, the way people think, you know, does it cause a kind of frenetic change in brain activity and, and stuff like that? Um, and so I don't go down that route anymore. You know, I'm not particularly <laughs> interested in, right. um, in, in, in those types of, uh, questions as, as much as I was when I was younger. Um, but that was, you know, I, I, that was a moment. Um, but then also, I guess, I mean, again, it was kind of a slow burning thing. It wasn't like there was a, a you know, like a, a moment at which I saw architecture burning in the sky above me and I was converted. It was more that right. there was just a long laundry list of things that was making me realize, my God, like this is also architecture, you know, so I'd be reading a horror novel and the way that the, the house was described at the center of it or the way that the abandoned city was described you know, I'd realized that that was an architectural example. And then when I realized I was really into, um, you know, how mines like underground mines are created and engineered, you know, I'd realized, you know, this is effectively kind of reverse architecture right. um, or even, you know, while watching, excuse me, while watching the movie Die Hard, uh, yeah. you know, I realized, yeah. my God, you know, the reason why I think I like Die Hard so much as a kid is it is effectively a movie about a skyscraper. You know, it's an architectural film that takes uh, how people move through the built environment as its very premise. Right. Um, and right. so, you know, I, I just began to have this kind of slow growing sort of snowball effect where I realized that, yeah, architecture was everywhere. So it was more like a, yeah, like a list of a hundred things as opposed yeah. to just one converting moment. I love that. I, I mean, it's so, it's so great. I'm curious kind of what, where, you know, you had mentioned that building block kind of started as you kind of wanting, uh, to read, you wanted to write the type of kind of architecture writing that you were interested in reading and you started the site in 2004, I think, right? Yeah, that's... Yeah. And so that's that's kind of right at the kind of early kind of start of, of blogging. What, where did that idea come from or, or, or how did the idea of, you know, this is going to be a blog where I'm going to write about these things? Well, I mean, I guess there's a couple things there. I mean, one is is a, a a kind of boring answer to that is just simply that it was the appropriate format for the time. I mean, right. you know, I could imagine that if now perhaps maybe I'd start a podcast or maybe I would right. do some other type of um, startup like publication that <laughs> right. in, that I had that I had okay. control over. You know, mm -hmm. so the, the, those are it was just sort of yeah that was the thing that was around at that at that time. Although I do think that blogs are undervalued today. Personally, yeah. I think that they're a very very good outlet for people who too often just sort of waste their thoughts on Twitter and Facebook. But yeah. in any case, um, maybe that's something we can well, come back to. But Yeah, I definitely want to talk about that more. Yeah, But then briefly, I'd also just say, I guess I suppose maybe the more interesting answer to that is that I, I just feel like, and I think perhaps you would agree with this, that the things I cover on Building Blog are so um, usually oddly mm -hmm. um, framed that there just is not much 
I would not be optimistic that if I pitched those articles to an editor that they would agree to publish them. Right. And so, you know, I mean, like I'll cover something where it's a book that came out seven years ago or for that matter, 45 (laughs) years ago, or it's a a random moment in a movie that has nothing to do with architecture that reminded me of something that led to a blog post Mm -hmm. or it's a description of a, you know, a, a material breakthrough in crystallization growth. And that reminded me of a JG Ballard novel, which then turns into a building blog post. And, right. you know, those kinds of thought processes just simply don't pitch well. And so, right. you know, I think that if I were to get in touch with somebody at the New York Times and say, I wanted to write a stream of consciousness article about crystallization <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and JG Ballard, I, I, I think I'd be a pretty unemployed writer. So yeah. I think that, that, you know, the benefit of building blog, especially in its early phase, was just that you could just write whatever you wanted to because it's, it's free, it's yours, you don't need to pitch anything, you just need to have the enough caffeine in your system to write it. So it was it was kind of a, you know, it was a dream outlet, as it were, for, for a writer. Right. And I think that's, you know, I think that's kind of why, so I, I kind of came of intellectual consciousness and kind of discovered my interest in graphic design largely through blogs. Uh, and you know, when I was in high school in the early two thousands and, and, you know, I grew up in suburban Pennsylvania and had never met a real designer before. And this was right at the height of blogging. And so the, the blog post form was actually very fundamental to me and kind of understanding this thing that I now do 15 years later. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's, it's a form that I have a soft spot for and I, I do think that it's undervalued and, and it's why I think building blog is so interesting. And, and you started to touch on this a little bit is that it's so just fundamentally you and it's mm. your, it's, I, I read it and I have read it for, for years as this kind of uh, almost like open research project in a way, or it's kind of just whatever you're interested in or thinking about shows up there but in a way that is very accessible and doesn't seem you know maybe at first glance like it's just whatever you're kind of interested in at the time mm-hmm. um so do you I, I'm, I'm interested in kind of like how you think about writing for the blog you know or writing for yourself really um you know what's that process like of kind of posting to building blog versus writing something for the New York times or the Atlantic or the, you know, the kind of other publications that you write for. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess a, a, a couple things. I mean, I, I think that, you know, one of the, th- one of the things that I always have liked about building blog is that it isn't, it, it, it's a minimal financial expenditure on my part. And in fact, um, until only about two years ago, it was entirely free because it was hosted at, um, blog spots. Oh, right. so it was buildingblog.blogspot.com, right. which meant that I had literally no capital invested at all into building blog. And so, you know, I had no obligation to keep going. I had no sense that I had sunk hundreds or even thousands of dollars into some sort of web hosting platform mm-hmm. or, or web design that I had paid for, et cetera. So it had a feeling of um, it was there if I wanted it. And if it wasn't there, I wasn't obligated to do anything. And so there was no like emotional labor, I guess you could say in terms of like knowing, Oh shit, I have to post again tomorrow or, you know, there was never any stress involved with that. Um, but then also, you know, it, it meant that because I didn't go down the path of, you know, extreme site monetization, um, you know, it wasn't the way I made a living. And so that also took a huge amount of pressure off so that 
I was just writing for myself. Like it was right. a voluntary thing. Like if something interests me, I'm going to write about it. But if it doesn't interest me, like if there's a, a news in the architecture world or there is um, something that I should be academically obligated to cover, I just didn't because right. after all, like this is a voluntary time. I could go outside, I could go to work, I could talk to friends, or I could sit at home and voluntarily write this stuff for the last 13 years. Right. And so, you know, in some ways, though, I think the benefit there is that that also, um, I mean, from my point of view, the benefit was that it meant that I didn't have to cover things I didn't want to. Um, but from the other point of view, it was, it's always been interesting to me over the last decade or more when people you know, get upset with building blog because I don't cover things that they think are, you know, the true ethical questions of the time or oh, really? something that is that a- academically, I, absolutely. Oh, it's wow. something that is academically burning and that I should be covering X, Y, or Z, huh. but it's a voluntary thing. Like I'm yeah. not doing this because I'm paid by a university or I'm right. not being paid by, uh, for those readers for that matter. You know what I mean? Like their mm-hmm. clicks aren't paying my salary. So I just feel like I can cover whatever I want to. You know, yeah. it's not. Um, I, d- I don't need to make sure I also post the newest trailer for a blockbuster film where I can talk about the architecture because I'm just trying to get um, clicks. Uh, so those right. are, there were a lot of things that were a benefit there. Um, in terms of you know how does that differ from writing for major publications? I mean, I think that. Um, yeah, I guess it's good and bad. I mean, there are times where I feel immensely frustrated working with editors because I think, you know, wow, I don't, they're trying to change things less because it makes it better and more because it makes it more appropriate for their publication. And that Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean the article gets better. But on the other hand, I I feel like there are pieces that I've done that are so much better than anything I would have done on building blog precisely because I had that editorial input. Um, so that's been really great. And then, you know, of course, also there are times where I'll write something on building blog as just sort of a short post and then think, my God, I kind of wasted that idea. You know, I could have a feature (laughs) for Wired Magazine about that, or I could have, um, really turned that into a, you know, something that would have been appropriate for my editor at the New York Times Magazine. And instead I just sort of, you know, the equivalent of like spitting out the car window, I just sort of, you know, threw this idea onto building blog and I sometimes kick myself like, shit, I should have done something more with that. Oh, interesting. You know, I'm, I'm, I kind of want to connect some of that to something that you had said earlier about kind of, you know, architecture being this frame or, or this box that, you know, all of your other interests could kind of fit into. And I think the site has always been like that. And I think your writing has always been like that. And I'm thinking about, I'm thinking specifically kind of about two pieces that you wrote within, I think these were in the, the last year. So I hope they weren't older than this. The You wrote a piece for the New York Times about kind of self-driving car technology and how they see the city. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also thinking about uh, a series that you did for the Atlantic, which I think was last summer kind of about, I think it was like about satellite imagery at a, at like a very high level. That's kind of what it was about. Mm-hmm. Um, and those two pieces specifically, I think, are very building blog topics and are very you topics. And I don't know if I'm just more conscious of it now that I've been reading you for this long, but I feel like your uh, interests maybe have expanded a little bit to you are writing a lot more explicitly about technology, about science, about climate change, about space, uh, as in like, you know, outer space, not, you know, kind of physical space. Mm -hmm. And I kind of want to, I'm interested in how you kind of, 
I guess first kind of would you agree with that and then also how that maybe relates to what you were saying earlier about how the architecture discourse has changed has that changed kind of where you're turning your gaze do you know what I mean that was kind of a weird way to phrase that does that make sense um no it does I think that yeah I guess there's a couple a couple kind of nested answers there I mean I think that um I, I guess I feel like because of building blog, I feel less inclined to want to cover architecture for other publications, right. um, which might sound strange, but I feel like although people think of, or, or I should say many people think of me as an architecture and design writer, I tend to resist it when an editor gets in touch with me and, and wants me to talk, write an article about, um, you know, the future of elevator design or some new building in, in Dubai or, right. you know, those types of things. Because even though I, sh I am technically an architecture design writer, I feel like those ironically aren't the things I want to be covering for other publications where I'd rather have the opportunity to write about, you know, satellites or how right. machines see the city or the, you know, the emergence right. of artificial intelligence and infrastructure, that kind of thing. So those are the things that are, 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 are I guess, more interesting to me as pitches for, for those magazines. Um, but, um, as far as like the design world changing in terms of its, in terms of the discourse, I mean, I do think that, you know, as, as things that used to be marginal have become much more mainstream. And I mean, everything from JG Ballard mm -hmm. to sort of like, you know, pop avant-garde archigrammian sort of stuff that, that is now, <laughs> yeah. again, it's, it's actually, um, frustratingly ubiquitous. Um, I feel like I don't. I just simply don't want to cover that stuff right. anymore. It feels like, first of all, I've already written, I mean, I feel like I've already sort of made my thoughts known, so I don't really know why I would go back and do it, even though um, there's a whole generation of people that don't even know I've ever written about that stuff because it's it's buried in the archives of Building Blog. Right. Um, but nonetheless, I feel like I just am not going to go back and, and, and rewrite all of that. Um, but also I feel like, you know, as, as, I mean, the ironic thing too is that, you know, I started off as a very, very, um, you know, like I said, I didn't study architecture. I was... Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, at the time, I wasn't even really a published writer. I was just sort of a guy. I mean, I was the cliche of a guy, you know, at home in his underwear writing <laughs> blog. Right. Um, and then, you know, it was only about, I think only maybe, you know, six or so years after I founded the blog, um, you know, for a variety of reasons, all, all of a sudden, you know, I'm teaching architecture at Columbia. Right. And so I feel like what was interesting there was that it was seeing like suddenly stepping into the academy and seeing how architecture was taught and seeing what people consider valuable architecture writing which mm -hmm. really clearly didn't include the stuff that i was doing <laughs> yeah also meant that wanting to like enthusiastically covering architecture for free on a voluntary basis at home with using my free time to do that became less intriguing to me because I kind of felt like wow okay so these are the people in the academy oh interesting who actually teach architecture and feel as if they are the true gatekeepers for what passes for architectural discourse right and it was I mean you know I don't know it's like the cliche like a scene where you know you sneak into a country club and then somebody mistakes you for the guy who empties the trash can in the yeah. bathroom it makes you not want to go back to that country club right and so there was something about <laughs> teaching at Columbia that was a pretty um, bubble popping moment for me where it just didn't seem like I don't really want to volunteer my time to get excited about a field that these people are part of too. Right. Um, and so what I'm getting at is that that means that that just encouraged me even more to write about non-architectural things. So, you know, yeah. writing, you know, climate change, uh, satellites, archaeology, 
like all the things, I guess you could almost say that, you know how I described it earlier as a Venn diagram with architecture at the middle? Yeah. I guess I say like the, the diagram still holds and I'm still interested in all those things, but I tend now to sort of put a, a, a piece of electrical tape over the word architecture and now I just write about all the other things. <laughs> right. And, yeah. um, I mean, yeah. that, that this is interesting and it leads to two other things I wanted to kind of talk to you about is because, you know, in talking about the things you want to write about, you know, I can't see you writing kind of a review of a new building. That doesn't seem like something that you would do at all, really, you know, the way an architecture critic would. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm interested, the other kind of thing that I was curious about is how you think about audience and, and the audience of both building blog and your other writing and even your book, which I'd like to talk about in a bit, and then that relationship to the architecture community. You know, where do these things sit related to that, which I'm sensing is probably more removed than maybe it would, would appear? Yeah, I guess I think, I mean, um, if I, if I, if I understand the question right, I mean, I guess I think of my audience or just audience in general, um, as definitely interdisciplinary. So I, you know, it's, it's, uh, even though there has been a positive response, um, from what I, I guess I might say architecture students, even if not architecture faculty would be a, um, that there's also, though, you know, interest in people who work in set design or who work right. in screenwriting for film and TV or who work in the music field because of the stuff that I occasionally cover from acoustics and sound and, right. um, you know, audio questions of the about the built environment. Um, you know, so the audience for Building Blog, I think, is pretty well distributed amongst different fields. Um, you know, even people in anthropology and archaeology, for that matter, I know, read the site. Um, you know, and then of course architecture, but I think that paying attention to all of those potential readers is actually quite important because it makes you not, or rather the, the, the editorial goal for me would be to not get overly distracted by one route in particular Mm. so that, you know, everything Mm. I cover is just one topic over and over and over again. But every once in a while, remember that I, you know, I'm interested in sound and acoustics, so I should look to see if there's something worth writing about in that field as well. Right. Um, but uh, I'm not necessarily sure that answers your question, but I think that, you know, just making sure that the remembering that the audience for architecture or rather that the, for these types of topics is, is pretty, is pretty broad and, yeah. and, 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 you know, exists uh, a, a, in different fields. Yeah. Yeah. That does, that's kind of exactly what I was curious about. And I'm, I'm kind of asking it through, I'm kind of, you know, vaguely asking it while I'm processing it through the lens of graphic design and and a lot of the people that I talk to who are in the design the graphic design profession and when we talk about graphic design writing it's often towards writing for other graphic designers and I'm always curious about how to write about these things for a general audience or for people who are not as close and you're someone you know who I think does that a lot I don't feel like you're writing for architects or for urban planners, although I think those people get things out of your writing also. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that some of that too, though, is that, um, when you're in a field, you, you, you sort of, or one sort of tacitly accepts a a canon of references that you're supposed to make. So, you know, an example comes up and it's assumed that everybody will know that, oh, you know, this is a, this is something where I need to cite Jane Jacobs or Walter Benjamin, or there's something that everyone will understand this core group of references. But I think that once you step outside that 
and instead you reference, um, you know, a contemporary action film that might have a rep, might have a ref, you know, uh, an example right. that is, is it, that proves your point much better right. than an essay published, you know, 15 years ago in a canonical academic journal. Um, you start instantly and in already not only establishing tone, but also saying to your audience that the things they've experienced or seen or are familiar with are also worth discussing in the context of these other other questions right. and that you're you're not just doing that thing where oh i'm writing an essay about graphic design and so that i have i therefore you know have to talk about x y and z or i'm writing about architecture in the city and thus i have to refer to these three or four canonical texts mm-hmm. um you know i think that the benefit of blogging is that if you write as if your thesis advisor is not watching you will be able to get a lot more done in terms of yeah. your own excitement for what you're doing but also just the kinds of people you can bring into the conversation because, yeah. you know, yeah, just don't make the obligatory references that everyone expects. Right, right. And I think, yeah, I think that really manifests itself a lot in Burglar's Guide to the City. And I think, sure. I, I feel like that book is just your writing just, like, taken to the next level. Like, it's still very you, but in this kind of long form, a little bit more narrative I'm interested in kind of where that came about because I know from reading the blog that these were topics that you had been thinking about for a while did changing to a book change your process or change kind of how you thought about these things at all well definitely I think that in general you know what's been exciting for me as a writer is is moving to a different type of writing and so um being able to and not be scared to pick up the phone and call people and do first-person reporting right. for topics that, um, you know, too often, I think, even myself several years ago would just rely on, you know, an article in New Scientist or someone else writing in the New York Times or, you know, someone else's reporting. I would just use that as a proof of something that I had been thinking about. But I feel like, you know, as I've gone from being a blogger to being a journalist, which I, I suppose is just the best way to phrase it, right. um, you know, being able to work on stuff in a much longer form, as well as with original input from people I myself have met or interviewed, I think is something that has been really exciting, which, you know, I realize somebody listening to this podcast would just be, um, you know, I mean, that's journal, I just described journalism, you know, I mean, it's like, so <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's, it's not, that's not exactly revelatory, but to go from being, you know, just a, a random commenter at home on my own blog, uh, to being somebody who, you know, flies around with the Los Angeles police department like that, that for right. me was just a really great transformation in my writing career. Um, and so, yeah, with Burglar's Guide, I also just feel like knowing that you can structure something over, you know, 200 plus pages as opposed to over 800 plus words right. was also a really exciting way to be able to move in and out of certain themes or or structure things in a um, in a more delicate way or really kind of drill down on certain topics that I normally would have just passed over with like, I mean, literally sometimes just a link, like I'll just link oh, to right. someone else's work and, and be done with it. But here I actually, you know, went into it on my own and had to figure out what it was that interested me about it. So it was definitely it was all of those. And then also, I mean, just to, just very briefly too, like, you know, the, uh, speaking of that Venn diagram, I mean, what was so interesting to me was just that burglary was right. kind of like an architectural conversation hiding in plain sight. I mean, it literally requires architecture. You can't be a burglar if there aren't any buildings. You can be a thief. You can be a pickpocket. Right. You can be any number of things, of, you know, but you cannot be a burglar unless it involves a building. And so that right there just seemed like how on earth have not more people written about this? Yeah. And so I really wanted to explore that line between what it means legally and conceptually that the very creation of architecture 
also brings into being this criminal class and what does that criminal act reveal about how we design or think about architecture mm. in terms of blind spots or vulnerabilities or conceptual possibilities for redesigning it. And um, so those were the types of things as well, like, in, you know, in terms of that Venn diagram where architecture was at the middle, but yet it had all of these other things right. around it. So, yeah, it's almost interesting. I don't know if I, I thought about it this way until you started saying, you know, until kind of what you just said in that I think you could almost view the book as kind of a, a, a microcosm of kind of your larger writing interests where you're kind of approaching architecture, but looking at it, looking at it through the lens of someone else. And I, I watched a talk or an interview or something that you had done on YouTube uh, kind of in preparing uh -oh. for this. And you had mentioned that idea about burglary can't exist without architecture. And, and, you know, it is just kind of like, oh, you know, there are all these other lenses through which people view the built world that, you know, I don't see, that the architects don't see, that the city planners don't see. Um, how has that been? I'm curious kind of the the response to that and, and, and you know, if there have been other kind of similar narratives that have spawned of people looking at things this way kind of from from your book or, or looking at architecture that way um well yeah i mean i think that the book i mean in in broad strokes i think it's been really interesting to watch how the book is read in different fields so you know i, I know people from the law enforcement community who have read it and gotten in touch mm -hmm. um you know even on the book tour i met people from firefighting who were you know came up to me afterward and explained how it's so interesting because as a firefighter like you're uh -oh. thinking about the exact same things like the placement of walls or mm -hmm. how floor plans affect um, ventilation practices for um, you know helping extinguish or for that matter keep fires located in a certain part of a building but you know it's a very art engaged architectural action to fight a fire and so you know they were realizing that as I described how burglars might cut holes through walls or how they might look at floor plans as a way to find the the vulnerable room right. that they can break into or for that matter the vulnerable apartment you know it was very much almost like thinking like a firefighter um, you know, and then people in the architecture world, uh, you know, have been, um, I mean, relatively interested, I think, in the book, but then also lots of people in the kind of film and TV world, um, you know, where the book was actually optioned for television, which is pretty exciting. Right. And so, you know, there's been a, a broad sort of narrative interest in, in, in the book and, and where it wanted to go as far as people who are, you know, directly inspired by a burglar's guide to work on stuff I, I don't necessarily know that i can point to like oh you know the book that just came out last year is also sort of you know was a, a writer who was inspired by burglar's guide <laughs> right but um but i do think that 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 general class of you know one of the things that that i i, I mentioned every once in a while is you know uh, many many years ago like maybe even 12 10 12 years ago um there was an ido project ido the design yeah. consultancy um where they were looking at how people misuse everyday objects so you know using um, oh, right. like the like the like the what is it called like the rack the railing that you hold hold on to on the subway you know using that to hang right on, or um you know adding things to the drink holder in a car so that you could navigate or put your cell right. phone in it or that kind of thing but so it was basically like people using design trickery and mm -hmm. creativity to misuse the built environment and misuse the everyday environment so that it could perform some other unexpected function and I think that, you know, burglars are doing almost literally, well, for that matter, and police officers are, are doing the exact same thing. So they're figuring out 
a way to turn a windowsill into a climbing platform so they can get up to the second floor apartment or, um, you know, turning an alcove into a place to hide because there's more shadow there when the streetlights turn on at night or, um, you know, using privacy fences in the backyards of someone's house, not to keep the neighbors from, um, seeing someone, you know, eat breakfast in the alone at home, but just to keep those neighbors from seeing them, uh, climb in and steal things out of the bedroom. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's this, it's this conceptual kind of redirection of the everyday environments. And I think that other people have definitely been writing about that kind of stuff. But once again, for whatever reason, maybe it was a moral thing, or maybe it just wasn't, uh, just something that anyone wanted to do. There just didn't seem to be much of a, uh, an acknowledgement that burglars are thinking on a design level about how right. to engage with buildings. And so that's one of the things that I wanted to do as well, well with the book. And I think that I think that's just the perfect description of kind of why I've I've been drawn to your work. And I, I really like this uh, Venn diagram that you've mentioned a couple of times, because I feel like th- that applies to my own life and my own interests, but with graphic design as that middle piece and everything from, you know, kind of maps and national borders could be seen as design problems in a sense, mm-hmm. or, or, or acts of graphic design, and and how design, design in the large sense, but also graphic design, architecture, all of these things influence so much of the way we live and interact and move around the world. And that kind of realization has really changed how I think about my own work, both as someone who's, uh, who talks about design and writes about design, but also as a practicing designer. And so I kind of want to step back a little bit and I'm interested in, in kind of what are, are the, the topics that you are seeing people in architecture, design, technology, you know, all these things that you are kind of orbiting. What are the topics or subjects that people seem to be talking about a lot or that you're, you wish more people were talking about? Well, I guess I'd say, I mean, one thing that is, well, two, or I guess I'd say two topics that I think to be, that, that I think are, are, are becoming more and more ubiquitous. Um, one is just a generational thing. Well, as people move to cities more and more and thus write about cities more and more, there's a focus in general on uh, how cities can be changed to let people, questions of transportation and mobility. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you know, looking at pedestrianization schemes or redesigning streets to allow more cycling or that kind of thing. I think that that's not just a generational question in the sense that, you know, younger people want more physical options for getting around town, but also it's a demographic thing. It's an economic thing. You know, people who can't afford cars, who don't want to afford a car, who are convinced that self-driving cars are only four years away anyway. And so why buy a car? Right. Um, you know, they want to find a new way to get around cities. And so questions of transport, especially in an age of Uber and city bike and, um, Jeanette city con, all these people, you know, you're getting these, um, questions popping up, uh, more and more and, and, and pretty mainstream publications as well. Mm-hmm. And then obviously that I also think that just the, the general challenge of statelessness and refugees, I think is also right. something that pops up all the time where, um, you know, for, for, for entirely justifiable reasons about what does it mean that we have built a world where people don't have a place in it? And is there a, is there a design response? Is there a legislative response? Is there an urban or architectural response to the fact that there are people who literally don't have a place in the modern world? Right. And, um, you know, that's clearly kicked off by a lot of conflict in the Middle East right now, but it's also something that 
um, I think will only increase when we have climate change refugees and increased right. uh, conflict spreading around the world. So I think that those are two pretty major questions. Um, you know, a really dumb thing. I think it just I'm I'm, I'm consistently amazed doesn't get more um, negative attention. And I think it's just because of, you know, nobody wants to insult their friends, but I'm always, I'm just consistently blown away by the, what seems to me to be a kind of inability to control software being mistaken for a new design language. So you've got all of these, uh, designs emerging that just look like stainless steel Venus fly traps and (laughs) and these utterly ridiculous plant forms that are mistaken for biomimicry. And the fact that more people aren't pointing out how ridiculous of a waste of time it is to do that, and the fact that you know not being able to play your instrument is now being mistaken for being a virtuoso, and I just think it's software that tends towards plant forms is just being let go and not controlled by architecture students, and then they get A's from faculty who also don't really have anything invested in what is being produced under the guise of their studios. And then you've got just this epidemic of ridiculous plant forms coming out that aren't the future of architecture. Um, And also, yeah, I mean, again, they're not a sign of skill. It's the opposite. You know, you just sit back and let your software design these things. But, um, you know, maybe that's a more controversial opinion than I think it is, but I I guess I'm under the impression that more people think that than they admit to it. And yet every, and yet, you know, entire schools are getting away with designing plants instead of buildings. Right. That's interesting. I have not thought about that, but I know exactly what you're talking about. That's yeah, that's actually really interesting. Uh, and that, that leads to, I have just a couple questions just to wrap it up. Um, two of them are fairly easy. One might be a little bit bigger. Uh, but two of them are directly related to kind of what we were just talking about and maybe very similar answers, but I'm kind of interested almost in kind of the inverse of, of what we were just talking about or, and what are the subjects that you're really interested in right now and that you're thinking about a lot and writing about more and more? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess a couple of things. I mean, I'm, I'm, I am actually very, like, I guess in a post burglars guide way, I am extremely interested in law enforcement and how it oh, engages with the city. And so I'm definitely interested in those types of topics. Um, so how policing, because policing is a design act, you know, you, you design a beat or you right. design a jurisdiction and you find a way to um, engage with the pre-existing design of the city in a way that you think makes that city safer. Right. Um, and it, obviously, as we've seen, it doesn't always work. So, you know, you've got all kinds of, of moral, ethical and force-based questions emerging about how, how cities should be policed, et cetera. Um, but those kinds of things interest me um, more and more. So, you know, I've been writing more about, you know, counterterrorism and, and right. infrastructure and policing and and, and those types of topics. Um, I'm increasingly interested actually in communication, but I'm also working on a slightly longer project right now that, that I haven't um, said oh. very much about publicly. Okay. But but so topics like that are, are, are definitely of okay. interest to me. I'm I'm curious. This is kind of this is kind of a big question and it might be a little bit abstract but i'm interested in the way you know i'm almost hesitant to use the word architecture now you know kind of hearing you talk about the way you think about (laughs) these things but the way you uh, i'm not even sure exactly the best way to ask this but i'm interested in as somebody who's as someone like yourself who's maybe a little bit more removed from graphic design the way you write about the subjects you're interested in, are there parallels you see 
in graphic design or the way maybe people should should or could write about branding identities you know kind of the visual culture um yeah and i guess i mean i feel like you know i'm i mean if i'm an outsider to architecture i'm certainly an outsider outsider to graphic design but but i mean i do think though that i mean graphic design is so ubiquitous that i think that just more pointing out to people it sounds like a niche field but it actually isn't so you know it's the thing everyone sees it literally all the time you know in every single product they pick up and every book or every report every microsoft word document they look at right every email they send you know they're looking at graphic design um and i think making it clear that therefore they actually do have an opinion on graphic design and they are it's okay to talk about it without being pretentious right um you know i think is one of the major things that I was aware of in terms of the architecture world where, you know, actually everybody thinks about architecture, whether it's their fantasy house or the fact that they hate a new skyscraper, you know, they nonetheless are thinking about architecture and, and making them realize that actually, you know what, this is not the super pretentious, embarrassing topic that you, and you are innate, you are entitled to have an opinion on it. Right. Um, You know, I think graphic design could do the same kind of things, but I do think though that as you mentioned yourself earlier, um, you know, expanding what it might mean to talk about graphic design, mm-hmm. I think yeah. is pretty exciting. So is a national border a type of nas- uh, graphic design? Um, is a landscape, especially in an age of Google Earth where you're looking at things from above, um, is the placement of plants in that landscape actually graphic design? You know, are you are you building a visual interface between a property and people right. who might view it? Um, you know, questions like that that get away from pure typography. Yeah. At the very least, get, get away from... Um, uh, uh, what, what would be the word? I guess I guess a meaning-bearing typography, and instead right. you look at simply the arrangement of things in space as a type of graphic design. Yeah. Um, you know, suddenly you open up a lot of really interesting fields, like where even choreography becomes a type of graphic design. Um, right. You know, the movement of bodies in space. I mean, for that matter, you know, a bank heist would be graphic design <laughs> right. because of you know you know right. where you place people to to guard yeah. the front door. So in any case, you know, once you start really picking apart what it means to arrange things in a legible manner and then that's graphic design, suddenly you've opened up the floodgates to a lot of really interesting other topics that would normally be considered outside the field. Yeah, I love that. That's so that's so great. That was that was such a great answer. I I mean, I'm smiling right now. You can't see me. (laughs) That that was so great. My last question, uh, I'm, I'm really interested in in kind of you know, the books, the writers, the people that you find yourself returning to again and again, or the texts that you find yourself returning to again and again, or the people that you recommend the most to other people, just what are those, what's that reading list that's really shaped how you think about all of these things? Hmm. Um, Yeah, that's a good question too. I mean, I think that you know, unfortunately, my answer is actually just sort of your standard sort of cliched, um, <laughs> like like white guy reading list. So right. unfortunately, I'm not sure it's very interesting. But I, you know, I definitely would say people like Franz Kafka and, mm-hmm. and J.G. Ballard and Don DeLillo have all been, you know, just really interested in me in, in terms of how they represent way, the way people act in space. Mm-hmm. So, you know, giving um, narrative framing to how people use complicated architectural scenarios um, is something that is definitely of interest to me. Um, but then, you know, there's a there's a uh, some academic work actually that I think is really interesting that that uh, you know I tend to go back to quite often. Um, there's a really great book called The Tomb of Agamemnon um, by a woman named Kathy Gear, um, and it, which is kind of like it hits all of my sweet spots. So it's about um, you know the the classics, so teaching sort of um, you know like the Iliad 
and, and how that led to a general um, European interest in antiquity, mm-hmm. which then got sort of monstrously distorted into a kind of pro-military interest in ancient Greek culture right. um, as, the, as uh, archaeologists were uncovering things like the tomb of Agamemnon and then how that seeped into the popular discourse to inspire people to go to World War, to fight in World War I. Um, oh, and so wow. it's like, it's just a really great short look at how archaeology, the classics, um, the m- manipulation of public uh, opinion and mythology in general can be sort of cooked up into a really toxic brew. And yet it's also just a great short, well-written book. And so right. stuff like yeah. that, you know, it, it hits a lot of sweet spots for me. So I really, I really enjoy that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess the list goes on and on. I mean, I read as much as I can and I read quite often. So I think that I've got... You know, I've recently gotten really into detective fiction because of my right. whole law, like, you know, yep. crime and law enforcement interests. So I've been reading tons and tons of detective fiction, primarily set in Los Angeles, but also New York and London. Um, you know, I've, I've read a lot of horror novels. You know, I, I, mm. I when possible, I read tons of nonfiction, like from Climate Change. And Elizabeth Colbert is a really great writer for oh, climate yeah. change issues. Um, there's a cool book about species modification and its possible effect on what we define as wildlife. Um, there's a book called Frankenstein's cat by Emily Anthes, which is quite good. Oh, wow. But, um, but so yeah, you know, I mean, I just think, yeah, in general, I would say read as often, read as much as you can and when in doubt, buy some random magazine that is uh, related to a field that you have no interest in, like a, a tactical sailing magazine or a, uh, for that matter, a fashion magazine, if that's not your thing, because it's just really, really fascinating to see the topics they discuss and, and even how they discuss them. Yeah. And to realize that, you know, perhaps you actually have interests that that overlap with that world and you didn't know it until you actually read the the the, the printed matter from that from that field. Right. Yeah, I love that. That's that's exactly kind of why I asked that question is just from from reading you over the years. It was very clear that your your reading list was was wide and, and far ranging. And so it was kind of great to hear you kind of parse that out a little bit. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for for talking to me. I've been like I s- mentioned a couple times, I've been reading your site for years and your writing has come up on previous episodes. And so I was really looking forward to this. And I thought this was so great and interesting. So thank you so much for for talking. Yeah, no problem at all. Thanks for the invitation to to be on. Thanks. This episode was recorded on July 24th, 2017. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.